This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. We are working our way through the Gospel of John and taking kind of various sized chunks each week. If you are new here, um, our typical pattern um, usually is to teach through books of the Bible. So we just take what's coming next and uh, read it, and then I try to give some explanation and some application of it so that we can um, learn uh, from the Lord. In this passage, this whole series, we've been talking about the theme of sent. Jesus is the one who's sent by the Father. That word comes up in this passage. The Son sent here to, to bring freedom is the passage we're looking at today. So, beginning in verse 31 to the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. What do you not understand? Why do you not understand why I say what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Why do you make, who do you make yourself out to be? 
Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word which reveals yourself. We thank you that you reveal yourself through the word and we thank you for the glorious revelation in this passage that you indeed, Lord Jesus, are God. You are God who sets free. You are God um, who brings us to relationship with the Father. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through this passage today. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to comprehend you, to see you, to understand you. And Lord, I pray that even now as we walk through this passage, you would do your glorious work of bringing freedom to captives this morning. Lord, grant me strength and clarity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage uh, looks at Jesus interacting with people who have recently believed in him. What's happened in chapter 8 prior to this is Jesus is teaching at the Feast of Booths, which we talked about earlier, and he has just proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. He is teaching about uh, himself, and people are believing. And the tricky thing about reading the word believe in the Gospel of John is that when people are described as believing... They're not always really believing. Uh, they're oftentimes believing in a sign. They're oftentimes believing in their understanding or their take or their expectation on Jesus and often not believing in Jesus's self-description in who Jesus proclaims that he is. So the word believe often doesn't mean conversion for there are many who believe temporarily. And in this passage, Jesus is making clear what real belief is like. Throughout the Gospel of John, there is an alarm that sounds frequently. It's like the tornado warning that you hear here, where you hear the warning and you wonder, what is there a tornado? What's up? There's frequently a, a, an alarm sounding in the Gospel of John. An alarm warning against fake belief. People that show up for the feeding of the 5,000 and then disappear. Or in this case, people who respond to hearing Jesus is the light of the world. Look what has happened in the verse before the passage we just read. After he teaches being the light of the world, verse 30, he was saying these, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus is teaching, many believe, verse 31, our passage today, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now, here's what's happening in this passage that is so fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, <clears throat> the altar call is given, the people respond, the disciples collect the decision cards for those who have come forward to believe in Jesus, and then this is what Jesus does. Uh, he begins to speak to them about what a true disciple is. Uh, he doesn't do this. He doesn't have an altar call, call everybody down, 
lead them in a prayer and then say something like, you know, um, if you ever doubt that what just happened is real, that's the devil causing you to doubt. You know, never doubt. You're secure. You're safe. He doesn't do anything like that. He gets the decision cards, calls everybody down, and this is what he begins to say to the people gathered. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those who proclaim belief in Jesus, he is clarifying for them what true belief is. True belief in Jesus is not a momentary response. It's not an emotional feeling. It's not just some kind of an instantaneous, I want to, I want my life better, or I want to go to heaven type of response. What he's saying here is that a true disciple is one who abides in his word. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. And Jesus is saying a true follower, a true learner will abide, will stay in, will continue, will live in my word. And as you live in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus is that truth. If you look down at verse 36, he says, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So verse 31 or verse 32, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Verse 36, the, the son who, who the son sets free is free indeed. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is setting people free. And through his word, he is revealing his identity. He is the truth that sets free. He is the great I am, he will say at the end of the passage. So the the general truth of what's going on here, the big idea is that Jesus reveals himself through his word, and we reveal ourselves through our response to his word. Jesus gives his identity through his word, and we reveal our identity in how we respond to his word. And he's saying the identity of a true disciple is one who will continue in my word. And when he says this, this causes a problem with the people listening. And Jesus is going to talk about two primary things in this passage. He's going to talk about the slavery of sin, which he does in two ways, talking about who their father is and talking about the nature of sin being slavery. And then he's going to talk secondly about the freedom of Christ, the freedom that he brings. So I want to look at two ideas in this passage, which are clear. As Jesus reveals his identity through his word, people reveal their identity through the response to his word. And first of all, he talks about slavery to sin, and then he's going to talk about the freedom that Jesus brings, the freedom that he brings. First of all, this idea of the slavery of sin. When Jesus is speaking to the people that are proclaiming belief, he he says something that really triggers a strong response from these professing believers. He says that, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True disciples follow Jesus and will have an increasing understanding of Jesus, and that will lead to an increasing freedom in our lives. The more we know and follow Christ, the more freedom we experience. Uh, There is an increasing freedom with an increasing resting, abiding, uh, believing in the Word of God because the Word reveals Jesus as the Savior. So pursuing Christ following Christ, communing with Christ, worshiping Christ, obeying Christ, leads to greater and greater freedom, is what he is saying here. Many people think that following Christ is increasing restrictions and increasing limitations. 
and increase, you know, increasing imprisonment. To, be, to follow, to be a follower of Christ means I lose freedom. But Jesus says you don't even know freedom until you begin to follow me. And as you abide in my word and pursue me, you will experience greater freedom. Well, <clears throat> this talk of freedom really doesn't set well with the listeners, the new believers. That's because they're primarily people that are building their lives around a religious system. And religious people will always react unfavorably when the topic of freedom comes up. Whoa, let's not talk about too much freedom here. And they, they respond, not because of fear of too much freedom, but they respond because this says something about them that they don't like. This talk of freedom is a problem. Uh, look at verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They, they have no need for freedom, they think. They have no need. They are religious people. They have come to the Feast of Booths. Uh, they are not enslaved. They are following God. They are already free people. So how is it that Jesus is going to bring freedom to them? They don't see this. They don't perceive this as a need. And they refer, they refer to Abraham. Um, you know, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, never mind they're under Roman rule at this point. But they've never, we've never been, you know, sin is very blinding. And arguing with Jesus uh, always reveals all kinds of illogical statements and thoughts uh, in us and in, and in them, people in the Bible. But they've never been enslaved, they say. And, and the key is that they're children of Abraham. They're children of Abraham. So they are looking at their religious heritage we have a religious heritage. We are free people with a religious heritage as children of Abraham. We are God's people, in fact. But Jesus says they do need freeing. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is making the point that sin by nature is enslaving. Sin by nature is enslaving. Sin brings slavery. Sin never brings freedom. Because by its nature, it is enslaving. And that's what he is addressing. They need freedom in a way they're not thinking of because they are captive to sin. They're religious people, but they are captive to sin. And he is coming to bring freedom from that sin. So people who pursue sin, which is all of us, as we pursue sin, there can be this sense that I'm really going to be free in the pursuit of sin. And Jesus says, as you sin, you are a slave to sin. And then you sin more because you are enslaved to sin. It's not freeing. I mean, we can think about this in extreme examples. Extreme examples. I'm not saying these are extreme sins, but I'm saying these are very obvious ways that this works itself out. Um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, pornography can lead to and a, a, a sort of enslaving addiction. So people who depend upon alcohol, I'm not saying drinking in moderation, I'm saying they're dependent upon it, People who are depending upon alcohol, people who are dependent upon drug abuse as a means to escape reality, people who are enslaved to pornography or some other kind of sexual sin, 
they realize that they are not free. They don't feel a freedom to express their freedom in in any way, but they are caught. They are trapped. They are chained to the Internet. They are chained to a bottle. They are chained to a pill. And so there is a sense in which that is very obvious. We can say, oh yeah, well I understand certain sins lead to slavery. But Jesus would say, all sin represents slavery. And there's, this, this is true in much more subtle forms as well. You know, we can say, I'm just free to express myself. You know, I just want to sort of dress the way I want. I just want to uh, express myself freely. I wonder what others think about how I'm dressing. I wonder what others think about what I'm doing. They said, what about me? What do they? We can be enslaved to the opinions of others. Even in expressing our so-called freedom, there's an enslavement. Craving the approval of others is an example of how sin is enslaving. We can be enslaved to money or stuff or things. And this can oftentimes be revealed not when we have things, but when we lose things or when we fear that we will lose things. And then we find out we really are enslaved to those things. We really are enslaved to what if we don't have those things? That's related to like fear. Fear and worry are enslaving things. Enslaving. They can be dominating of our thoughts and our lives. Um, ultimately, slavery to self. I mean, that's probably the, the most, the, the, the deepest and most obvious sense of slavery is that we by nature are enslaved to ourselves. The great commandment of Scripture is that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. But we are not free to do that in and of our own. No one is, has the freedom in and of themselves to love God and live for God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, to give of their neighbor with no, to their neighbor with no self-interest, to put the need of neighbor purely and totally above one's own need. No one can do that on their own because we are enslaved to self. And these individuals, by bringing up their religious heritage and their religious practices, are actually enslaved by religion. And that, is, that can happen to any of us. Rules and regulations and getting the lingo down and being at the right places at the right time and with the right people and doing the right activities can be a substitute for God Himself. And so these individuals have God standing in front of them and they are arguing with God and they are saying we have no need for freedom Because we have our religious heritage and our religious practices, and yet they are entirely enslaved and not free. They have God in front of them and they want to kill Him. That's slavery. And so sin enslaves, and then we sin because we're captive to our sin. And there's only one way to be free. He who the Son sets free is free. Jesus comes for the purpose of freeing captives captives to sin. And that's all of us, including very religious people here. He not only says that, but look what else he says. Look at verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. He's basically saying you act 
uh, your behavior is connected to your father. Who's your daddy? Is Urban's what he's saying, and an urban slang is what he's saying here, meaning who's your authority, and you'll act according to your authority. And he's saying, I'm doing the things I hear in my father. I'm doing the things I've heard from God, and you're doing the things of your father as well. And, and so they say, well, our, our father is Abraham. They respond, you know how can this, they've already said our, our father is Abraham. Verse 39, uh, Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. Abraham believed God. They are not believing God. So he's kind of leading them along here and saying, you're not like your father Abraham. You have another father. Well, they react to that. Jesus questioning their paternity causes them to make, their spiritual paternity causes them to make a strong statement. Uh, Jesus goes on and says, verse 41, you are doing the works of your father And so they make this strong statement. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. This may be an allusion to them accusing Jesus of being born, uh, not of a virgin, but, um, but born of sexual immorality. In essence, perhaps accusing that Mary had, um, had intercourse before marriage. And thus he is born of sexual immorality. That could be what's going on there. But they make that kind of a statement. And then they up it. So they're going to move from Abraham. We have, uh, it says, we have one father, even God. So Jesus challenges whether they're really like Abraham. And they say, okay, we'll take it up a level. God is our father. That's what they come back with. Jesus makes clear again that if he was your father, you would love me, verse 42. Your, your father would dictate, would determine, would influence your behavior. But that's obviously not the case. And then he brings the punchline. You can see where he's leading with this. Who's your father? Who's your father? He's leading with this, and this is what he, he comes up to, verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Remember, his word reveals his character. They can't bear to hear his word. You, verse 44, are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. See, before he said you're slaves to sin, Now he says, your father's the devil, and these are the reasons you act like you act. These are the reasons you oppose my word. These are the reasons you accuse me, because your father is the father of lies, and you are believing lies. So he says, you are a slave to sin, and you are a son of sin. You are a slave to sin and a son of sin, meaning your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. You know, sometimes, and this is certainly possible, there can be an idea of like, you know, am I too sin conscious? Do, do I emphasize or do I have too big of a view of sin? That, that's a real possibility for some of us. Meaning that we don't see Jesus big enough and our sin looms large and so we are condemned perhaps and we walk in hopelessness for change. So there, there are folks in the room who, who have a small Jesus and a big view of sin. Th- that is possible. Um, we need to have a very big view of Jesus. But I think what this passage reveals is that oftentimes we don't have nearly a, a high enough view of the offensiveness of sin. It, it's manageable in most of our views. The reality is, 
if we saw sin in all of its horror, we would see what Jesus is saying here. He is saying that sin enslaves. It is a horrendous power to control people's thinking, to control people's lives. And he actually says this, that sin is represents the work of the devil, the influence of the devil. Sin is, he says, lying. It, it's, it, it's characteristic by lying, believing lies. Jesus, Satan is the father of lies. It's characterized by believing lies. It's characterized by being murderous. That's what he says. Your father was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says. There is something murderous towards Jesus because of our sin. Sin is something that hates Jesus, that lies about Jesus, that wants to kill Jesus. Sin is blinding. Sin is demonic. I mean, what ultimately kills Jesus? Why is Jesus ultimately placed on a cross? It is our sin. It is our sin. And so while there is a danger in having too high of a view of sin if we have a low view of Jesus, we need a we need a, a profound view of sin so that we see the greater power of Jesus who has delivered us and freed us and what he's done for us. See, when Jesus claims the things he claims here, they pick up stones. Why? They want to kill him. Every time I sin, I've got a stone in my hand. Do you see that? Do you see gossip? Do you see impatience? Do you see gluttony? Do you see laziness? Do you see angry rages? Do you see sexual lust? Do you see selfishness as a stone in my hand? Throwing, rather than submitting and loving the Savior, opposing the Savior. I should see it that way. Because that's the very thing that killed Jesus is my sin. Jesus says strong things here that are not acceptable in our culture. They weren't acceptable. Well, actually, they're not acceptable in this culture because people want to kill him. They're really not acceptable in any culture, I guess, because all by nature we are opposed to Christ. But this sounds so strange to our ears. Our sophisticated, tolerant, postmodern, inclusive, pluralistic ears. That Jesus says to unbelievers here, your father is the devil. They get so mad they want to kill him. That, that, that would, nobody may pick up a stone today, but that's very offensive. If you're here as a guest, if you're here just sort of pursuing the faith, questioning the faith, if you're here because someone dragged you here on a holiday weekend and, and they're feeling very nervous about the stuff I'm saying right now, relax, it's okay. I love your friend. I'm glad your friend or relative or whatever's here. We do love you. And that's I, I, the most unloving thing I could do is to take the edges off what Jesus says. The most loving thing I know to do is to tell you as best I can exactly what Jesus says. Because he's loving. And he says this. He says that, that, that to not know Christ, to, to live up, to reject Christ is to live with our father, the devil. This is Jesus in all of his offensive glory, and he is dividing things in really into two camps. He's saying there's my father and the devil. Sin is inspired by the devil. 
You can live captive to Satan or you can live free to God. He's really giving, he's not giving multiple options. He's not saying there's many ways. There's a, he's not nuancing in this. Much of theology is nuanced. Much of the Bible is nuanced. There are places we don't want to draw a, a, a sharper divide than the Bible does. We don't want to draw with a sharper line than the Bible does. But here Jesus draws with the sharpest line imaginable. And he says, really, there's two things. I mean, you are of the devil or you are of the Lord. Your thoughts are inspired by him. You are a slave to sin or you are free to God. The great theologian Martin Luther said, human self-will is a horse, and it is only ridden by one of two riders. The Lord is riding the horse, or the devil is riding the horse. The great theologian Bob Dylan said this. <laughs> and really, I went back and studied, didn't study, that's, I didn't meditate, but I did go back and listen this week freshly to the song by Dylan, where he communicates a truth, where he paints a picture of all kinds of different people on the planet. The rich, the poor, the famous, the, the mundane, the creative, the powerful, all kinds of people. And he says, no matter who you are, you, you're going to serve somebody. You may serve the devil or you may serve the Lord, but you're going to serve someone. That's the point you make. And that is a biblical point. That, that Those are the options. Those are the options. And Jesus is saying to them, they are bound by their sin. But here is the good news. That's all bad news. But here is the good news. Jesus comes to set prisoners free. Jesus comes to take people that are children of the devil and make them, restore them, in this case, to children of the Father. Jesus comes to take people enslaved, chained, captive to sin, and to break the chains and throw open the prison doors and bring them into glorious freedom. Freedom that they've never tasted. Life that they've never imagined before. That's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus says these very hard things. You're blind. You're enslaved. Your father's the devil. He says hard things so that people who don't see their need will see their need. Jesus never says these kinds of things to people who come to him broken and saying, I need a savior. To people who come broken and I need a savior, Jesus welcomes them. But to people who do not see their need for a savior, Jesus has to make it clear you are in serious trouble. And so if you are here today and you do not know Christ or you're not sure if you know Christ, I, I encourage you to come to Him. He offers freedom. He offers new life. And if you don't see your need for Him, then He warns you in the sternest terms, you are enslaved to sin. You are not free. And He comes to bring you freedom by His death and resurrection. He comes to give freedom, and he invites us to his freedom. And that's the second point here in the final. There's two ideas, the, the, the slavery of sin and the freedom of Christ. Jesus has made clear that he sets free from sin. We read that in verse 32. But in the rest of the passage, he makes it clear why he sets people free from sin or how he does. He explains why, that he not only makes people free, but he makes them free eternally. Verse 51, he says, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, he doesn't mean physical death. Everyone physically dies, but he means you will never taste spiritual death. 
everyone, because of our sin and our slavery to sin, we deserve to die and face the judgment of God for our sin. That's what everybody deserves. But Jesus comes so that we don't have to face the judgment of God for our sins, but so that we can be forgiven. Jesus dies on a cross and he takes our sin upon himself so that God the Father judges sin by pouring out his wrath, his holy anger upon his own son so that Jesus endures the wrath of God so that everybody who believes in Jesus would not, would not have to experience God's judgment, would not have to experience punishment for eternity in hell, but would receive forgiveness. Forgiveness. So those who believe, as he says here, those who are his disciples, those who receive, those who turn from their sin and turn to Christ and receive what he did for us, believingly receive what he did for us on the cross, we receive forgiveness. In this life, a clear conscience, nothing compares to the freedom in this life of a clear conscience. You can't buy it. You can't meditate and get it. You can't ultimately counsel and get it apart from Christ. You can't get enough stuff to do away with the nagging of an aching conscience, ultimately. But Jesus gives that freedom. And then Jesus gives the freedom of eternal life as well. Well, this, they don't get this at all. They say, what do you mean nobody dies? Abraham's the greatest, and Abraham died. They say, all the prophets died. And they say, verse 52, Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? Who do you think you are? Is what he says to them. And he says, well, Abraham looked forward to this day and looked forward to my coming. And he speaks, they think, wait a minute, you talked to Abraham? That's what they're saying. You're, you're not even 50 years old. And you're saying you have seen Abraham? And then Jesus says this devastating statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This may be the strongest statement in all the Gospel of John about, the, the, about Jesus being God. Here's what he's saying. Before Abraham was even born, I already existed because I am God. This phrase, I am, this word, I am, this is the title that God gives to himself. God the Father in the Old Testament gives to himself. When God is with Moses at the burning bush and he says, go, you know, speak to Pharaoh and set the people free. Moses says, well, who do I tell them has sent me? And God says, tell them Yahweh has sent you. The name of God, Yahweh, it means I am. Tell them I am that I am. That's what you tell them. Jesus is saying the voice at the burning bush to Moses, Yahweh, that's me. I am God. This is why they pick up stones, because the penalty for blasphemy is death by stoning. And so they feel he has clearly... Some people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He's just like a prophet or a teacher. If he never claimed to be God, people wouldn't be killing him. They'd just say, he's a nut job for saying stuff like that. That's crazy. But he's claiming to be God, and that comes with the penalty of death. So Jesus claims to be God. Why can Jesus set captives free? Because he's God. Why can Jesus take someone out of slavery and bring them into freedom? Because he's God. Why can Jesus take someone whose father is the devil and reunite them with God the Father? Because he dies for us in our place so that we can be reconciled to the Father and he gives us a new Father, the Father, the real Father, the heavenly Father. That's why Jesus can do that, because he's the God-man. He's fully God, and he is fully man. 
Jesus reveals his identity through his word, and we reveal our identity through our response to his word. These people reveal that they are slaves to sin. These people reveal that their father is the devil. What do we reveal today about our identity? It's all in how we respond to his word. If we respond believingly, then we know him, that we are his followers, we are his people, we are his children. Have you believed in Jesus as God? Have you believed in Jesus as a sacri- the sacrifice for your sin? Have you recognized that things are not right, that you're not right with a holy God, that there's a distance between you and God? Have you realized that? Have you realized, I didn't ask, are you a member of Grace Church or are you a member somewhere else? These people had religious credentials, some of them, that probably excels all of us. I'm not asking, are you, a, you know, are you doing good things? I'm asking, have you seen yourself as a sinner and seen the power of enslaving sin and seen that you're opposed to God? Have you ever even come to the grips with the incredible statement that Jesus makes that those who sin represent their identity as children of the devil, that, 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 that sin is opposition to God, that it's picking up a stone, it's cursing and opposing Jesus. Do we see that? Once we see that, then we're ready to see that Jesus comes through his death and his resurrection to set us free, to bring freedom, glorious freedom. And you can taste that freedom. I mean, this is a weekend when we celebrate the national and political freedom that we have, the cultural freedom that we have, because others have given their lives to ensure that freedom. So it's a time where we are grateful for freedom this weekend. And while I'm grateful for that, and I, I celebrate as well, there, there's something here that's even greater, far greater, because it's eternal in nature. And that is the death of Jesus brings a f- freedom for the one who would believe. You can receive eternal life today. Turn and believe. Just turn to Christ and say, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you are God, and I want to be free. I want my sins forgiven, and I want the power to live a new kind of life for you. If you are a believer here today, then your response, my response, reveals our identity as well. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Are we believing God, trusting God, celebrating, experiencing, living in the freedom that he brings? Jesus' death and resurrection makes us free. Not to, so we think of freedom to do whatever I want. Here, it's freedom is freedom to obey God, to love God, to enjoy God, to experience life the way it was created to be. He, he frees us from slavery. He frees us. He announces this freedom to us. The Scripture is a document of freedom. This is a document of freedom because the Scripture points to Christ and Christ sets free. So it's a document of freedom proclaiming that once we believe in Christ, once we receive Christ, the ruling power of sin over us is broken. The dominating power of sin over us is broken. We are not required to be enslaved to sin. Now, in this fallen world, we will sin. In this fallen world, we still have flesh, meaning a nature, not not skin, but meaning a nature that wrestles against the Spirit. So we still are embroiled in, in a battle, but, but the war has been won. But there is a battle that we still battle against sin. But Jesus' death is not just to make a difference in freeing you from sin one day in heaven, but today. 
When we receive communion, we're celebrating that the power of sin has been broken. It is not our ruler. It is still present, but it does not rule us. Jesus rules us. And so the good news is there is freedom for the believer, an encouraging freedom. The devil is not your father. If you believe in Jesus, God is your father. You were designed to have an intimate relationship, a near relationship, a meaningful, life-altering relationship with God as your father. Your paternity spiritually has shifted. You are in a new family with a new father. You no longer have chains. Now, sometimes we run back and Christians and put the chains back on willingly. But the news of the gospel is you are free. You do not. I do not have to be dominated by sin. There is power in the word to help. There is the spirit of God to empower me. And there is Christian community so that we can help one another. That's why we have community groups, so that we can grow together as disciples, so that we can come alongside one another and help each other for the times that we do go back and put the cuffs on again, for the times we do return to the cell and shut the door. Our brothers and sisters come around and point us to Christ, get the keys and open it and help us get back out and live in the freedom that we are meant to experience. Jesus is sent by the Father to free us. And here's, here's something I love about this, is that not only is Jesus sent by the Father to free us, but Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, he says this later in John, so I am sending you. If you are here today as a Christian, initially the disciples are sent, but we are sent as well. If you are here as a Christian, then we are sent with good news of freedom for people that don't have it. Not only has he set us free, but he set us free to live a life of freedom, which would testify to his freedom, to live in community together as a people that would testify to God as freeing, and that we could go and help other people that need to be free. Other people that need to be free. That we could care for them as Jesus does with compassion. I mean, I'm so thankful we don't live in the day of physical slavery in this country, institutional slavery in this country. What a tragic, tragic sin is is that. But I can only imagine that if I saw a physical slave, I would not react, I hope I would feel a compassion knowing what I know, you know, living in our day, knowing what I know of the scripture, knowing what I know of God. I I think we would feel a compassion. We wouldn't feel a judgment and self-righteousness. When we encounter people that are enslaved, our motive must be that of Jesus. This is all about compassion. He's saying hard things because these are religiously hard people. But he is compassionate. He wants to see slaves freed here. And if we encountered a slave, I think there would be a, a, a compassion. And may that be the case with spiritual slaves all around us. You'll drive home to a neighborhood or an apartment complex or wherever you live today. You'll drive home and there'll be slaves all around you. You can't see the chains. You can't see the handcuffs. You can't see the jail cell, but they're prisoners. They're prisoners to sin. And we have the good news that frees them from that and gives them eternity with God. We don't see who their real father is. See, we so, we so think that we have this caricatured ideal of the devil. And maybe we're sophisticated enough to believe that he's not a guy in red tights and a pitchfork. We just think that people who are influenced by the devil, their head spins around seven times and they spit out green pea soup because we saw a movie, right? That's what we think of the devil. Well, the devil may obsess, uh, possess people like that, but, but the reality of the devil is much subtle. He works much more subtly. People are enslaved by things you cannot even see. 
in their thoughts. Their thoughts are captive. They're blinded. They can't see the glory of Jesus. They're enslaved to themselves. They're tied up. They're bound. They can't get free. That's what the devil does to people. And we have the message of freedom. We are to experience greater freedom, to bring glory to God, but also to introduce this freedom to others. People all around need freedom. Jesus brings freedom from slavery. He says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, is what he says to to them. Jesus brings freedom, and there's people around us that need to know that Jesus brings freedom from the judgment of God because he took the judgment of God. Jesus brings freedom from hell. Jesus brings freedom from eternal death. And not only that, but Jesus brings freedom for the stuff that entangles us in this life. Jesus brings freedom from alcohol abuse and anger and lust and greed and being an approval junkie that has to have everyone else approve of me and laziness and impatience and apathy and unforgiveness and bitterness. There are people enslaved by their bitterness and Jesus wants to free them to love and not be bitter, to forgive and not hold grudges. Jesus frees from arrogance, from perversion and pornography, from self-righteousness, from religious judgmentalism and self-righteousness, which looks polished on the outside, but is evil. Is evil. He frees from that. Jesus comes to free people from materialism, from consumerism, from all kinds of idolatries, from racism, from sexism. From ageism, I think it's called, which is, which is judging the young or the old, people of different ages. Jesus frees us from these things. And there's people that are bound by all of these. The greatest concern is these sins put them under the wrath of God. And we want them to be free so that they experience forgiveness and spend eternity in heaven. But there's also the, 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 the grip of sin that makes life miserable. Miserable. We're freed from the ruling power of sin. It is no longer our master. And God wants us to become increasingly free. This is what he says. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This truth, this word, this scripture represents, uh, is the not represents, it is the actual word of God to us. And so through the word, Jesus reveals his identity. And our response to this word reveals our identity. We want to be those who are pursuing God, pursuing his word, and thus experiencing greater freedom as we pursue others that need that freedom. I mean, can you imagine what would happen with a church? We're not a big church or a huge church or anything, but just with a church our size, if, if we as a people continue in his word and continually experience his freedom and walk in the light, talk freely about the areas where we've gone back to bondage, where God's declared us free, but we're choosing not to be free. If we talked freely about that and got help, if we are a community that's just proclaiming the good news of Christ to one another as Christians and proclaiming the freedom, praying with one another, serving one another, helping one another, listening to one another, not judging, not acting self-righteously, but helping one another, pointing each other to the Son of God, the great I Am, who frees, and walking in increased freedom together. We're being more aware of the freedom giver then we are the enslaving of sin so that we're free to talk about our sin and point one another to the God who gives freedom. What if that happened in an increasing way? 
and we just experience greater and greater freedom. As we abide in the Word and know the Savior, and as the cross is lifted up, we experience greater free, greater gratitude, greater joy. And what if that just spills over? That's God's plan. That it just spills over to the others. That it just spills over out of our life in the office. That it just spills over as you work. It just spills over in your sports league. Spills over in your school spills over in your neighborhood and our community it spills over as we're together so people see us together and they detect a freedom that the world does not know i think that's god's plan you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free may jesus the truth set us free today in increasing ways some for the first time if you've never believed believe today and others in increasing ways as we pursue his word let's pray You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.